Patas. 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 Welcome to Fart House, where we watch the artsiest, fartsiest films so that you can pretend that you did. I am one of your hosts, Casey O'Brien, and I am joined by my other host, my other friend, uh, fellow blonde boy, blue eyes, uh, man, uh, Patrick Mallon. Patrick, how are you? Uh, doing... Doing good. Padre mm-hmm. swept the Cardinals. That was good. Nice. Manny Machado egregiously taking out people's no, legs. No, no. You are misreading just that Just kidding. Play. I'm just oh, kidding. I don't, there's a I whole don't care. hubbub on sports Twitter I about know. him. I won't bore our listeners. With I was it, just kidding. It was about, a clean was play. <laughs> I agree. Um, I'm just kidding. What else is going on? Uh, well, this time, by the time this airs, uh, Sammy Lawboy and his fiance Casey Shep. Casey, yeah, they'll be married. So I'm we leaving like tomorrow. Casey. She sponsored the show. Yes, she at the doctor cocktail. I'm leaving tomorrow to fly to Atlanta for for the wedding. We're going to go to a Braves game on Wednesday. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Patrick, I don't want you getting any doing the tomahawk chop when you're down no, there. Okay, no, if it's... that got on camera, that could end our <laughs> podcast. No, I will be. I will be doing death stares at people that do the okay. tomahawk shop it's awful okay. i hate it very good how are you cool. doing well i'm doing well i'm good. doing i'm doing really great uh number one at the time of this recording my beloved hockey team the minnesota wild sorry to start the podcast with so much sports banter but the minnesota wild are in the playoffs mm. and they started their first they had their first game yesterday and they won in overtime and Excellent. it was so exciting and I'm just enjoying this moment right now because Minnesota sports, we don't have a lot of playoff success ever. And uh, I just, you know, it's a good feeling to win once in a while. And I'm just going to enjoy this moment as of today. By the time we record next week, I'll probably be so sad I can barely put together <laughs> words and sentences. So I'm just enjoying this moment right now. Who'd they beat? They beat the Las Vegas Golden Knights, who are very good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it felt really good. And then also... I'm basking in the glow of the release of the Judge John Hodgman episode yes. and the fame that has come with that. <laughs> yes. Has, has has fame accompanied the release of that? Lots of fame. I've been getting messages from people. It's really? It's been kind of cool because it's a very popular podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to bleep his name for this segment because we're going to be referring to him too much and it's going to go make people go insane. But okay. our friend Sean, I took Sean to court because he brings his own hot dogs into Dodger Stadium, and he has other antics, or as the judge referred to them, Sean antics. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, the judge did not ruin my favor. He said I couldn't really control what Sean does, So, which I'm fine with. It's yeah. okay. He reprimanded Sean enough during the episode <laughs> that I felt... I felt like I had a victory in there, too. Yeah, there was a Pyrrhic victory for you, for sure. Um, I don't feel like Sean got enough of a comeuppance for his deviant behavior at the, the Sean baseball antics. games. The Sean antics. Um, but I could see where Judge John was coming from. And yeah. it, it might have been a little bit harsh to completely bar Sean from behaving how he wants to behave. <laughs> yeah. Did you enjoy listening to your two friends? It was bicker? great. Yeah, it was fantastic. It's so funny, too. Um Knowing both of you, and in particular, I was taken back to when I first met Sean, uh, when we all met at Intelligentsia back in, you know, well, when I first met y'all was August of 2010. 
And Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's so crazy. And I first... We were, we were humble dishwashers. <laughs> yeah. Well, you were just starting on bar when I started. Like, you were oh, just... Oh, is that right? Yeah. I think you were, you were like, at the... You know you how you... There's kind of like an in-between. There's like a pour-over. You kind of bar back and do pour-over. Yes. Yeah. You were at that stage. But I started as a dishwasher. Yes. Yes. Um, so I met Sean and... You know Sean's sense of humor. It can be very hard to discern sometimes if he's serious or joking. Oh, absolutely. It's very dry. And I've gotten very And sometimes I'm not so sure he knows. I don't think... Yeah, sometimes I don't think he knows. I think sometimes he's unsure about whether or not he's joking or serious. I think it starts out with him being serious, and then he's like, maybe this is ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) He kind of... But he does a good job of threading the needle between the two. Yes. And uh, so anyways, when I first met him, I was like... I I thought he was really funny, but I also just couldn't tell if he was funny because... What's his deal? Yeah, I couldn't tell if he was, like, funny. Like, oh, this dude's kind of odd. <laughs> but, you know, he's funny. And then I realized, no, he's pretty consciously, <laughs> at least for the most part, I think, making these jokes. And so when I was listening to Judge John Hodgman, I was just thinking of everyone else out there wondering what they thought of Sean Ortega on the podcast. Patrick, it says here you have a backlog of movies. Now, what does this refer to? Oh, it's actually just one. So remember last week we kind of, I've been forgetting oh, yes. to update people's art house movies for the sponsors of the episodes. Oh, yeah. And Tommy tried to play a little trick on you. Yes. And we couldn't figure out what the hell he was talking yeah, about. Yeah, he said that he was into hentai as art okay, or but something. But what is his real His favorite? real favorite movie is actually The Battle of Algiers. That's actually his real favorite art house movie. Really? Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Huh. And he's and he actually he messaged me some book recommendations too. So he's read multiple oh, books about that uh, about the Algerian War. Hmm. And Tommy is extremely well read. And oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, that he's always got great book recommendations. Uh, didn't, didn't get the numbers I'd hoped it would. Well, let's not disclose that. <laughs> well, I just want people to know that it's their fault that if you didn't <laughs> listen true. to that, we're episode, floundering, people. <laughs> we're floundering. No, we're not. We're fine. Yeah, we're thriving. Uh, Patrick, do we have any sponsors today? <gasps> we sure do. This ooh, week is sponsored ooh. by a brand new family. Joe Riley, Margaret Riley, and their new baby, Annie. Oh, wonderful. Yes. Welcome to the world, Queen. Welcome to the world, Queen Anne. Uh, she's adorable. I love oh. her. I'll be meeting her soon. How fun. I know. So Joe and Margaret, and I, I have to think that this was primarily Annie's idea, but she has us that drinking. lush. <laughs> she came out of the womb ready to rock and roll. Uh, she prescribed us a classic Boilermaker, okay? And I'm just going to refer to it as Annie. Annie has us drinking a Pabst Blue Ribbon. Love it. Uh, and a shot of bourbon. This is a classic Midwestern staple, the Boilermaker. I yeah. don't know where the name comes from, if it has something to do with Purdue University, the Boilermakers or mm. not, but yeah, yeah, it's a great combo. And Annie was very firm that you could not water down your pour, and I'm looking at it right now, and that's straight. Witness. Yeah, that's straight. There's I'll no drink ice. it this way sometimes. <laughs> and you know what? I will attest to that, too, because when we've been out, it's not like you ask the bartender to drown your bourbon in Here's tap water. Here's the thing. Have you ever heard of a little thing called sessionability? <laughs> yes. That means I can drink it longer if it's a little watered down. Yeah. No, I agree. I like that. I do like that. And that's why, I, in fact, I prefer whiskey neat, but I like to be able to drink it longer, so I've, I've been drinking it on the rocks more. 
but yeah. But Annie stipulated that we drink Annie, it neat. Little taskmaster. <laughs> a little taskmaster already at four weeks old. Love it. <laughs> so well, thank, thank you. you. I'm gonna say thank you to Annie. Specifically. Thank you, Annie. Oh, and Annie's favorite art house movie is Hunt for the Wilder People. Great. Yeah, which I have not seen actually. I haven't seen Hunt for the Wilder People. Oh, really? I've seen it twice. Yeah. It's good. Um, so you and Annie. Do you like Taika? You like Taika Waititi? Mm, I do. I don't love. I like. I don't love. Mm, I don't know if you love this then. It's, it's quintessential. But it's Taika. Sam Neill, right? I like Sam yeah. Neill. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, Annie's favorite. Um, Annie st- heard about it because her dad, Joe, and her mom, Margaret, listened to us. And they listen primarily from Nashville, Tennessee is their primary listening Yeehaw. location. So anyways, thanks to Joe, Margaret, and Annie. Specifically Annie. Specifically, primarily and specifically Annie. Joe and Margaret had something to do with it. I don't know what, but they had something to do with it. So thank you, Annie, for sponsoring this episode. Thank you, you sweet, so much. Beautiful and girl. It, and if anybody else wants to sponsor the show, like the wonderful Annie, um, Venmo Patrick at Patrick Dash Mellon. It truly helps us with production of the show, mm-hmm. keeps us going. Um, you know, there are some expensive expenses that go with this show, so it really does actually help us yes. uh, make this weekend wake out um we have t-shirts you know that costs stuff yeah uh, yeah hit us so, up for shirts you. every time uh we post them we get a we get a few people interested and we're we're getting really close to having enough people interested for another run so please hit us up uh on any of our uh socials so let us know if you're interested what size you think and we'll do another run pretty soon and we'll get those shipped out to you promptly that's great. Uh, speaking of wonderful people, we got a five-star review from I Am Miker. Don't know mm, who they are, but okay. I appreciate the review. Very kind. Thank you. If you give us a five-star review, it really helps the show, too, people. It really does. You know, algorithm-wise, it helps pop our show up more out of the sludge that is all of podcast dumb. So please give us a five-star review. It really helps out the show. Patrick, let's move on. Mm-hmm. Letterboxd Rundown. How was your week? If you not, had to rate it on not a great. grading scale. Uh, I'd say it was a C minus. Mm. Um, the only thing I'll say in my defense, and it's not much, is we're recording a day earlier than we usually do. Patrick, so it's something. don't. <laughs> I can relate to you more now because I've just been failing a lot more. And mm. I, uh, I, I had a really busy week at work. I only watched one movie. Yeah, I only watched one too. Uh, I gave myself a D minus. Uh, the only reason I give myself a C minus is because I also watched. This doesn't. I guess it doesn't. But it's kind. It's it's prestige TV. I'm continuing to watch Mayor of East Town. Do yeah. I, um, guess that's not really doesn't really count. But doesn't uh, count. It's not <laughs> gonna get nominated actually, for an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> that's true uh i watched uh, i rewatched dog day afternoon is the only thing that i oh i love dog day yeah. afternoon me too have you ever read now do you say sydney lumet or sydney lumet i don't actually know i don't know but i've historically said lumet but i don't know if that's right have you read his directing book no but you have uh recommended that to me with your it's, highest it's a fun read recommendation yeah i'd I like think to you should read it he okay. talks about dog day afternoon he's an incredibly talented filmmaker like he just makes the most compelling movies and even his I last also, one before the devil knows you're dead it's like oh, a masterpiece phenom. yeah i also like him because he's like i don't work past six o'clock at night i don't work on the weekends like are you he serious like, oh i love that yeah. i didn't know that it's like he's got a very rigid work schedule like this is how i work on my day basically and like he takes an hour nap at lunch like he's not I killing himself that. i love that art. which i feel like because i feel like that's such a thing 
in film school or art mm-hmm. school, it's like you need to stay up and drink and do drugs and be wild yeah. and insane for your art. But like a lot of great directors, I'll include David Lynch too. I don't feel like they physically stress themselves out. They're very much about having a good work-life balance, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's cool. Yeah, I love that. I didn't know that about him, but I, that makes me appreciate him even more because yeah, you should there read is the book sort of... just for that because it's funny. He goes through his little schedule, what he has for lunch usually every day, and like, is he very routine and regimented like you are? Yeah, he is. See, I really aspire. When I was up there, um, we chatted a little bit about your daily routine, and I really, really by aspire up there he means that. Los Angeles. Sorry, yeah, California. up there in Los Angeles when I was visiting you and Trisha in heaven. and Sweet Dolly D. Uh, we talk, we chat a little bit about your routine and that's something that I really kind of aspire to. I need to get to that because I think it can, you mentioned too, that you, you incorporate meditation into, into your try. day, try to, and but even having a routine is kind of meditative in a way, because yeah, if you're, is. if you have elements of a routine, then you just kind of start naturally doing things and then you can kind of allow your mind to just, here's my trick too, Patrick, become a Don't blank be too hard. I, I'm I'm not hard on myself when I don't follow the routine. I rarely follow it perfectly. Mm. You know, I'm just trying my best out there. Okay, okay. I'm just but I dude. like that you're trying. You wake up at the same time every day, though, right? I at try least. to. Didn't yeah. this morning though? I was. Oh, like, didn't. I want to keep sleeping. Woke okay. up at eight a.m. And then how did did you have a degree of guilt later or no? No, that's not allowed. Okay, well that's good. That's that not you... allowed. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> uh, Patrick. Yes. Oh, I have to say my letterbox rundown. Oh yes, what did you watch? We got... I watched a movie last night called Life After Beth with What's Aubrey that? Plaza. Oh, I love Aubrey Plaza. She's a, she's a zombie. I mm. really enjoyed it. The people in this movie, it's like a ton of people that I'm like, they would never be in this movie a year after this was made. It's like Anna Kendrick, John C. Riley, Molly Shannon, uh, just a ton of people in it that are pretty famous. And yeah, it's a zombie movie. When did it's it come really out? good. 2014. It's on Canopy. That reminds me, we might have talked about this before, so listeners, please berate us if we did talk about this. But did you see The Dead Don't Die, the Jim Jarmusch? Yeah, I did. Trisha hated that movie. Yeah, I've heard... Okay. You thought it was okay. I thought about watching it the other night on Saturday night, and I've just heard such negative things about it that I just decided against it. But I feel like I kind of have to... I want to watch all Jim Jarmusch's movies, so... Yeah. Okay, yeah. We failed. I don't know. We failed. We We both got ifs. We were bad. We were bad boys. I'll try to do better. Listeners, we'll try to do better. We're naughty little cuties. Naughty little cuties. Very (laughs) cute, but very naughty. Um, Patrick. Yeah. Let's get into this, shall we? We we got a lot to say. A lot to say. This is Fart House. Mm -hmm. We watch the artsiest, fartsiest films so that you can pretend that you did. Again, a service to you, humble listeners. Uh, Today, we're doing a big one. We've been doing kind of some big ones lately. Uh, we're discussing Seven Samurai. Uh, another Akira Kurosawa film. Uh, we'll subject it to our proprietary fartsy test, which will determine how impenetrable, unapproachable, and generally artsy-fartsy a movie is. We'll give each other notes to improve this show. Patrick will give us a drink pairing. It's all great. Patrick, we start every show like this, pretty much. Do you own this movie? And have you seen it before? Yes. And yes. Ah, is it a DVD or a Blu-ray? So I, origi- I had the original Criterion DVD. What what number is this in Criterion? I think it's two, isn't it? I don't... I asked you oh, the oh. fucking question. Oh, I, I, did, <laughs> I didn't know if you were trying to do a gotcha, gotcha I'm sort not of thing. T- I, no, 
This isn't gotcha journalism. I just asked you a question. I believe the spine number is two. I've gotten it wrong on other movies. What's before, one? So. Seven Seal? Number one is Renoir's Grand Illusion, which I have not seen. Have you seen that? That's right. You haven't seen that? No. Never we seen should that. do that. Okay. Number yeah. two is Seven Samurai. I was right. Oh. And number three is The Lady da- Vanishes. Isn't that weird? That is strange. Huh, I do love that movie, though. I've never seen it. Uh, okay, so Seven Samurai. I think Samurai, Armor Court as number four is really strange. That's weird, too. Uh, so Seven Samurai, it's the second movie in the Criterion Collection. So it's an important film. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think about this when you first watched it? How old were you? Were you bored? It's three and a half hours long. Good I think Lord. I can't remember if I saw it my senior year in high school or freshman year in college. I'm trying to remember the circumstances, but I know it was home in San this Diego. This is definitely so one of those movies, along with like 400 Blows, Breathless, that is like, oh, you want to become a snooty cinephile? Here's your starter kit. Right, exactly. It is like mandatory viewing. It is like an essential element of your credentials yeah like, you must have seen seven samurai before you can even pretend to be a cinephile cutie that's right <laughs> um so i think as a recurrent theme on this show is we've there's movies we've seen these kind of stone cold art house classics we've seen might not have actually loved them but pretended we love them and, and yes. that was me i oh yeah i saw this was pretty bored um and it's just, I just told everyone that this, I loved it. I, it I remember fantastic. watching this and feeling like, oh my god, I can't believe this is, this is still on. Yeah, it's so long. It's so long. It's outrageous. I don't know why it shouldn't be. Th- I mean, we'll get into it, but three and a half hours, outrageous. folks. I have a very similar thing as you. I think I saw it like my senior year of high school because it's like in the uh, cinephile starter kit, basically, mm-hmm. and it's just so long. It's it's three and a half hours long. That's like two times as long as a normal movie. Yeah. Psychologically, God. it's hard to like. It's painful. How I was able to kind of get myself in the mindset for it this time was like, you know, you could watch three or four episodes of a, of a TV show without much problem. And so I just kind of try to approach it as. It's as three that. and a half below decks, basically. Yeah. Maybe it's more like four below decks. I think four, four, four or five below decks, because below deck, yeah. if you don't have commercials, it's like 42 minutes. So That's right. You're right. <laughs> it's five below decks, no commercials. Five below decks. That can be, that can be our timer for <laughs> movies. Five below decks. That's a big that number. That is a lot of below decks, though. <laughs> I don't even know. That's like too many to watch in a the, row. Here's, here's my recommendation, yeah. and this is what I did. Okay. There is an intermission in this movie. Mm-hmm. Watch the first half one day, the second half the next day, because it's basically two movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be my recommendation, too. I did uh, just the way that my day shook out. I knew I was going to watch it in two chunks. I knew I wasn't going to watch it all the way through, which makes it much easier to sit down and do if you know you're going to do it that way. Yeah, it um, does. I watched it about 10, 15 minutes past the intermission. And then had dinner, watched the Padre game because it was on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, um, and then revisited. That's great. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it much more this time because I knew it was so long and that I needed to break it up. And it was a much more pleasant viewing experience for me this time. I agree. And we'll kind of 
should I just say this now? Are we are we into it? Are we into the discussion right now? Are we, are we <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let me just let me just set it up. Yeah, set what it this up a little bit more, and then I'll, I'll come back to what I was going to say. I don't have much to say about it. It's one of those movies. It's considered one of the greatest movies of all time. It's got that tag on it. Directed by Akira Kurosawa in 1954. We previously we don't review the shows. We previously subjected it to our fartsy test. Mm-hmm. We previously did Rashomon, which was 1950. And to me... Oh, Rashomon was 1950? Yeah. Oh. To me, it felt so much older than just four years before. Like, this felt so much more advanced oh, than yeah, Rashomon. Oh, yeah, I agree. Uh, at the time, it was the most expensive movie ever made by Japan. And you could kind of see that. There's, like, huge set pieces, tons of people, horses running all over the place. It's wild, my man. Yeah, there's a lot of shit going on. Uh, and a, a brief synopsis, the briefest of synopsis. <laughs> this village of farmers is constantly getting ransacked by these evil bandits. <laughs> it's it's set in the 1500s, and one of the farmers is like, "This we this needs to stop." Yeah, it needs to stop. That was I'm gonna have trouble with the names, and I oh, do the apologize. names are gonna be a little tough. Yeah, uh, I don't even have his name down i can't even was it rakiki or a different one yeah it was rakiki yeah rakiki so rakiki's like we gotta go into town and get some samurai to protect our village and a lot of the villagers are like no we'll just die it's better to just like give them what they want and uh but so they go in and they start recruiting samurai and um so they recruit Kenbai, who's kind of the general, and he's an older samurai, and so he's kind of the leader of the group, and he assembles a group of samurai, and, you know, this is kind of a charity job. They can't pay them because they're poor farmers, mm-hmm. and so it's just for food, and so they need to get all these, like, hungry samurai, basically. Who all kind of and, have the same, who all have a similar code of honor, basically. Yeah, to they're like, this is... This is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the samurai they try to hire are like, fuck no, you got no money, you got no samurai. And so they go back to the village, and the rest of the film is basically Kambai and the rest of the samurai plotting out the battle strategy and, like, getting the town fortified with mm-hmm. moats and walls and flooding certain areas. Kind of training the villagers and certain Training tactics. the villagers. Um, and it was very gripping. Mm-hmm. And the bandits come, and battle ensues. Who wins? We'll let you know as the episode goes on. So I don't know if now is the right time to mention this, but one it of the is. more uh, one thing that's really interesting about this movie, at least to me, it was the basis for uh, the Magnificent Seven, the classic. A movie I have not Western. seen. Oh, you haven't seen the Magnificent Seven? No. Well, but you've heard the score, right? It's one of the most iconic yes. movie scores of all time, and you should drop it in right here. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of people said that this movie was like a Western. And in some mm-hmm. ways, samurai hold a similar place in Japanese culture as cowboys do in American culture. So it makes sense yes. that there was a Western remake. Yes. Oh, one thing that I was going to mention, too, that is kind of relevant is, well, Case, how much do you do you know much about kind of samurai or the Edo no, period? or well, feudal- Patrick... Thank you for asking that because yes, no, pleasure. I don't. And like this whole time, I was like, "What is a samurai? Mm-hmm. How do yeah. you become a samurai?" <laughs> yeah, I was wondering because that there's too. like they go to this village and it's like, "Oh, there's a samurai. Let's go ask him." And he's like, "I won't help you." And I'm like, "Why are there so many samurai just walking around?" I thought they were like 
priests, but I think they were more just it's more of just a high status position or something. Yeah, so basically I was I was reading more about it and so this the seven samurai are all ronin samurai. So they're all samurai without masters. They're freelance samurai. Yeah, they're like cell swords for the for the for the Game yes. of Thrones fans out there. Sure. Um but I feel like they have a I feel like cell swords kind of has like a negative connotation that it's almost like a mercenary. I wouldn't yeah. say samurai are like mercenaries per se, although they can kind of take on that sort of mantle. But Ronin Samurai basically they're masterless. And usually what happened is their master died or was toppled by some other regime, or maybe the samurai had been um insolent or in some way um what's another word for being sort of like disrespectful or insubordinate dishonorable dishonorable towards their towards their master and there's a word for it called daimeo i think it's called is Mm. the name of the masters and so basically all these samurai are ronin they don't have masters and so they're kind of free to sort of ply their trade um to anyone that's willing to pay them or serve as their master and but it uh, seems like the level of skill is so varying it's not like they went to samurai school right maybe they did but it just seems like i'm a samurai or like just as long as you have the paperwork you can be like i'm a samurai it's like a (laughs) it's like a notary public or something you just need to so it was confusing. Yeah, I think they're um, definitely of a you know it's a very class based system. Like you, yes, they're well, definitely higher. I know that up. samurai are not around anymore because the feudal system dissipated in the eighteen hundreds. Mm. So there aren't really samurai anymore because right. it was kind of a class. Right, and so there was definitely there was a they were a step up above farmers. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting kind of seeing how they related with the farmers. And there's one particular character who I think, you know, I'm going to bring up and I'm probably going to butcher his name. Um, Kikuchiyo? Yes. Kikuchiyo? Kikuchiyo, who's played by uh, the inimitable Toshiro Mifune. Uh, How do you say Was he in Rashomon? Yeah, he's in Rashomon. He's the guy that's that's laughing. He's the um Okay, here's a big complaint I have about Akira Kurosawa movies. Too much loud laughing. So much loud laughing at their own jokes. They're all very pleased yeah. at their own jokes. <laughs> it's a very uh theatrical kind of yes. almost like vaudevillian sort of style of acting to use it yeah. sort of American term. Um but what's interesting is that character Kikuchio. Kikuchio um he was actually born a farmer and so he was kind of like this link between the farmer mentality and the samurai mentality because there were some fundamental cognitive uh blocks between those two social statuses like they could they had a lot of trouble seeing from each other's perspective and so he was really instrumental in helping the samurai see from the farmer's perspective and helping the farmers see from the samurai perspective which really helped kind of cement that alliance because at times it felt a little bit shaky and tenuous yeah yeah, no, he was a very interesting character because he's also, like, insane, and he's, like, a fraud. <laughs> yeah. He's not a real samurai, and it's unclear yes, how he got, yeah, like, the right. paperwork he a, to he's a fraud. be a samurai, and he's, like, an insane person, but he's also very useful just because he's, like, and he's, like, an emotionally, like, off the rails, like, mm-hmm. going nuts all the time, but he... He is able to be like I was. He was. It, he was a farmer, and he's like, "Don't you understand? Like these people need you, samurai." And then also the farmers. He's like, "Stop being so, stop being so like small and think 
outside of your own little right. world. They're like, very myopic. Need, yeah, they just have yeah, this. Yeah, stop being so myopic. So he, you're, that's a very good point. I hadn't thought about that, that he helped that bridge between the two. And originally, he was not supposed, that character was not supposed to be in the script. It was originally oh, supposed to be six that. samurai. But oh. after they were like writing it, Akira Kurosawa was like, this movie is going to be so boring if we just have like six dutiful samurai because the rest are like really good, like hardworking samurai. And then like Kikuchio is like nuts. Right. You know? There's so, almost no. And I guess in a way it's kind of I don't want to say it's a shortcoming, but they're really it's I'm really glad you brought that up because there aren't really any noticeable character flaws in any of the other samurai. No, I mean, they there have, aren't. Distinctive personalities. Well, one and is young and horny, one is, but that's not really a character flaw. <laughs> oh my god, how horny is what's his name? Katsushiro. Katsushiro. Yeah. Katsushiro. He's the horniest. He's horny for everyone, man, women, everything in between. <laughs> he's just truly like... <laughs> thirsty. Patrick, I want to talk about some other interesting things in this movie that it revolutionized. Yes, please do. It yeah, tell, kinda, us, this... tell us why. So, Casey, one thing that I actually yes was thinking about during this movie. And I mean, in some ways, it's it's self-evident. In other ways, I think we need to tell our audience why. And here's the question. What makes this movie so great? What makes this the, like it, the, one of the best movies of all time? What makes this part of the cinephile cutie starter kit? Why do f- people have to see this? Now, I think it was it's hugely influential in action movies, actually, there's so many tropes in this movie that they point out like this is the first time this was ever in a movie and it's like gone on to be in like every action movie. It's important to note that uh, Akira Kurosawa was a huge influence on George Lucas and you can see a yes. lot of in Seven Samurai. I think Hidden Fortress was more the I haven't seen that, but that's for... apparently the one that really influenced Star Wars. Yeah, that's really the Star Wars template is Hidden Fortress. But even in this, you can see a lot of stuff that's reminiscent of Star Wars. Because a lot of the movie is... You've seen it in not just action movies, a lot of movies where it's like, we need to assemble a gang. And they like go out and you meet all the characters one by one as they're getting recruited into this gang. I mean, they even make fun of it in the movie MacGruber. You guys okay? Have you seen MacGruber? No. <gasps> I know. Oh, I really want to see you it. Gotta see it. It's so funny. But anyways, that happens in a lot of you know action movies where they like get the team together. Another thing someone pointed out. I read this. A film critic pointed out. A lot of action movies now, the main character will shave his head as he's like about ready to get into action, or like in like the montage of like getting ready for the battle, they shave their head. Mm. You know and. Kambai does that before he saves the, you know, he like... Before he saves cuts, the kid in the barn. Before he saves the kid. And that has been copied too. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are just two two things that make it hugely influential. I think also, um, you know, in the climactic sequences, it's kind of a it's kind of a prolonged, not necessarily in a tedious way, but it's like sort of a protracted climax, a protracted conclusion, because there's sort of multiple skirmishes that sort of yeah. lead to... Um, can we spoil it now? Can we just yeah, kinda... yeah? So ultimately, the, the the villagers and the samurai prevail, not without casualties. Four of the samurai end up dying, um, three survive. But um, so these there are these uh, protracted series of skirmishes between the bandits and samurai. And I think what this movie kind of revolutionized um, was you really didn't know who was safe and who wasn't safe. Like you didn't know. I feel like before you could kind of count on the heroes. Hero or heroes coming out on top, living unharmed. And in this, 
it, anyone was up for grabs. Like any any of yeah. your favorite characters could have been taken out at any time during the last third of the movie, and that yeah. was I think a particularly novel uh, type of storytelling, at least in the cinema. You know, it kind of reminded me of Ocean's Eleven too, in mm-hmm. the sense yeah. that and Reservoir Dogs and Reservoir Dogs, but also like a lot of the movie is setting up the plan. Yes. Like the first half is setting up the plan. The second half is executing the plan. And it's like really interesting to see it's those kind of movies are interesting to see like that stuff work out. And it's like, Oh, did that work? Did they do it? Like what went wrong? Where did they have to improvise? I think I remember what I was going to say before. I think, I think this is it. I think what I was going to say before is, you know, as, as long as this movie is, and it, it's long, believe you me. It is long. In watching it and in reflecting on it afterwards, it doesn't feel like there's... I, I was kind of thinking about, it was like, where would you cut? Like, where would you trim the fat? And I was like, there isn't really anywhere to trim the Yeah, I could have found some places. You could you could find fat. some places, for sure. I mean, because Magnificent Seven, I think, is like two hours. And it's it's not a carbon copy. It's its its, its own movie. It's distinct from Seven Samurai. So I think it, it could have been a successful movie you know, under three hours, but even still there was, there was enough that made me think, okay, this is not entirely unreasonable that it's so indulgent and it's running time. Yeah, totally. Patrick, when the intermission came, did you sit through it? Like you would an audience member back in the day, sit there while the intermission was going for five minutes (laughs) or did you fast forward? I I sat there actually. I used that opportunity. No, you didn't. I did. I did because I was, I just kind of used that opportunity to just kind of chill. Oh, I, you used it as an intermission. You used it as it was intended by Akira Kurosawa. I did. Wow. Do you remember the last movie that you saw in theaters with an intermission? I want to say Hateful Eight. Yeah, I think that's mine too. I'm a sucker that for that. I kind of like that. I think this would be a fun movie to see in theaters because it's a whole event. It's a whole... You know what you're going... Like, I, I knew Hateful Eight was long. I knew it was going to have intermission. So I was excited for that. You know, it should have had an intermission. What? Freaking Irishman. Irishman should have had an intermission, yeah. Wait, did it Too in theaters? Long. I saw it in theaters. It didn't have an intermission in theaters? I thought it nope. did. No? Oh. Yeah, nope. that should have had an intermission. The uh, first movie that I remember... Do you remember the first movie that ha- that you went to that had an intermission in theaters? Maybe it was there. A- There's an L-O-T-R, Lord of the Rings, I think, had a intermission. Mm, Maybe? That's right. That's Could right. Could be wrong. The first one that I remember, actually, is this movie called Gods and Generals. Have you heard of this movie? Hmm. I've heard of it. I don't know what that movie it's is. It's part though. of um it's a civil war movie and it's part Oh, of... I'm conflating it with Gods and Monsters. Oh no, but that's a good movie. Uh Gods and Generals is a civil war movie and uh it's a sequel, I believe, to Gettysburg. It's a very hmm. tedious sort of historical fiction. It's based on the novel by Robert Shara, I think his name is. Hmm. And that was the first I remember seeing it at the Flower Hill Mall in San Diego and, and two plus hours had elapsed and then the screen faded to black and it's like thank fucking god and then the intermission title card comes. i'm like jesus christ that would happen that happened to me at plays a lot where i'm like oh thank god it's over it's the fucking intermission <laughs> what oh no oh god yeah well oh i just had one more question yes i'm gonna spoil the movie so part of this movie they have like a lit they they have there's 40 bandits coming to get them. Mm-hmm. And they have like, they have them numbered 
four, they have 40 numbers, and as they die, they cross them off. They're a little circle. Each bandit is represented by a circle, and they cross off the circle when one dies. The final battle, they're like, okay, there's only 13 left. Why would the bandits attack? I feel like they knew they were going to, like... Casey, this was, was like my a, thing from the get-go. I don't understand I like, why the fuck they didn't move on to another town or another yeah, village. <laughs> yeah, why did they need, like... At that point, they were way outnumbered. Yeah. Like, 40, you could understand why they did a few attacks. But then when it got down to, like, 13 left, it's like, you don't have to, like... Maybe that's a Japanese thing. You need to die in battle or something. But these are bandits, so I don't know what kind of honor they would have. But I was like, why are they... T- why are they attacking? Yeah. Like I'm so glad you th- go you away. had the same thought. And maybe it's maybe it's not that novel of a thought, but I just couldn't shake the the idea of why are they so persistent? What is it about this village? What kind of crops do they have? Is there they wanted barley? That sweet is there millet. Bar- <laughs> yeah, is their millet and barley so delicious that they're willing to just like keep fucking going back no matter how many casualties? <laughs> They endure. I was just like, this is so ridiculous. Why not move on to another village that's, you know, ill fortified and doesn't or have. Or like, you know what? We need to get a new bandit gang together because 30 people died in ours. It's yeah. time to get the new group together. I just didn't. It made no sense. Right. Um, Patrick, it's hmm. time to move on to the Fartsy Test. All right. Okay, this is the fartsy test. This is the test we use to determine the fartsiness of a movie, which is our scale that gauges how impenetrable, unapproachable, and generally artsy-fartsy a movie is. We continually add and subtract from the list. The living document, like the Constitution, but far more important. Patrick, did the first five minutes of the film make you question whether or not your volume was working? No. No, the music kicks in right away. It's a sustained title sequence, but the music's there. The title sequence, the, I liked the font and the music. Mm-hmm. I was getting, I was getting all teased and worked up uh is there suicide i would say yes you remember the wife who had been kidnapped by the bandits oh my god thank you for bringing this up why did she run back in was it an honor thing like from it was an honor thing i think so the bandits explain to our listeners what happened here so the bandits had captured one of the wives of the farmers actually uh rikichi what is it rikichi it was rikichi's wife Rikichi, and he's the kind of driving force behind getting the samurai. Mm-hmm. And they go yeah, he to was the like sa- one of the primary village liaisons between yeah. the villagers and the samurai. And he, they go to like the lair of the bandits and they set it on fire and his wife pops out and he's like, oh my God, my wife, I'm so happy. And she sees him and runs back into the fire to kill herself. And I think it was an honor thing. Yeah. It was very because- disorienting. Did you... Were you able to determine what exactly was going on in that moment? For me, it was very disorienting. I, I didn't know who yeah, she was. Yeah, it was disorienting. Uh, are there images that seem to be edited in a nonlinear fashion that creates confusion and possibly epilepsy? No, it's not one of those movies. No, it's not like that. Does someone masturbate slash is there a penis in this movie? No masturbation, no penis, lots of butt cheeks. Lots of butt cheeks we see a lot of man butt in this (laughs) and it's very treated normally they're all wearing like the little sumo undies yeah would you feel comfortable walking around in that that now no i would not Hmm. i would think people would say that's cultural appropriation white Hmm. man (laughs) also i can see your butt (laughs) i wouldn't like that what Uh, did you think of toshira mifune's butt I had seen it in Rashomon, I feel mm-hmm. like. I feel like we're all very familiar with Tashir Mifune's, but it's a good yes. butt. Are there topics, images, or behaviors that go beyond what would be considered acceptable in a mainstream film? Hmm. 
No. Uh, is the movie over two hours? Can you start watching this movie after even without falling asleep? Now, this is a it's a huge criminal offense how long this movie is. Anything over three hours, we should be given an award for mm-hmm. watching. That's crazy. It's crazy. That's so that's such an investment of time. I think energy. about three and a half hours the same way I would five hours. Like Me too. it's just an infinite amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> So you should not start watching this. To me, it's like three and a half hours. It's an entire day. Even like, let's say you're awake of it. Queen. Let's say, let's say you're awake 13, 14 hours a day. Three and a half hour movie. That's 13, 14 hours, basically. Yeah. Because it's why not? (laughs) And it ruins the next day too. It's basically a weekend. Mm hmm. It's a week, really, because you're it's thinking really about it week. all the way. <laughs> it takes a week to watch this. It's insane and it's inappropriate. Uh, Do you the, think what, yes. I, what I couldn't help but think about during there were so many things that were ongoing in my mind throughout watching the movie. Well, don't but do you bring think, us too inside there. I don't really want to get too close to yeah, what's it's going a bit, on in It's your a bit head. scary in there. But do you think when when Kurosawa like brought this film to I don't know the the production company or the distributor or whomever? Do you think they were like you got you can't. Yes, do this. apparently it was the talk of the town before it even got made. I in read a good this. Way or it bad was way. like in a bad kind of in a bad way because it was okay. like there was like a hundred and fifty day shooting schedule. It was like crazy, and it was the most expensive movie ever made in Japan. And they had to shut down production twice because it went four times over the budget. Holy and, shit! And apparently, like Akira Kurosawa was cool as a cucumber. He just went fishing because he was like. They invested a ton of them. They're going to finish this movie. Yeah. They can't just let it not be finished. <laughs> yeah, like he was true. like not worried about it, but apparently they, sh- the production company shut down production twice. Uh, but it was a huge success too. So, you know, I'm trying to think if there's a movie in contemporary times where, I mean, maybe we wouldn't have heard of it, but I feel like it would have been in the trades, but I'm trying to think if there was a movie where so much money was sunk into it. And even still they decided to scrap it. I wonder if there's still decided to scrap it. Yeah, even after putting in a ton of money into it. I feel I'm like once the... a movie goes into production, I don't think there's any going back really. Well, I feel like there's been a few instances lately. Well, not really scrapped, but that new Mutants movie took forever to come out and they put a lot of money into that. Really? Wait, which yeah. one's the new mutants one? It's an X-Men movie oh, okay. that was supposed to come out in like 2016 or 17 and it came out last year mm. and it, it's bad apparently, but a lot had to do with like the Fox merger too. And yeah, that stuff. was a messy thing. But yeah, you wonder where it just like, they just didn't finish it. I'm sure there is. I'm not, there are people who are like obsessed with this type of movie industry stuff. Right. I'm not one of them. Sort I'm of the poet. economics of it. As I said it. before, I'm a poet. I care about art and nature and uh, the finer things. Yes. That's why I wish, part of me wishes that we had a little bit more information for our listeners on this era of Japan, the class system, the politics. But this isn't an information podcast. This no, is how a- to be an annoying asshole. Right. You know? Right. Does it feel as if the filmmaker is intentionally trying to torture the audience? No. I think this is. No. I, Watching this again, it's three and a half hours long. God help us. But it really feels like a modern adventure action movie. Mm-hmm. It was a, I, if I, I feel like if I had seen this in theaters when it came out, I would have been like, that was amazing. Mm-hmm. It would be incredible to put yourself into that, that space. Do you remember the most incredible movie experience that you've had? Uh, the first one that just popped into my head was, I've had a few. 
I've had a few. I'm going to name them right now. Okay, please do. Don't judge me on these. These were just ones where I was very affected in the theater. Like okay. I walked out like I'm a changed person. Okay. Mean Girls. Okay. One. The Dark Knight. Okay. Dark Knight, I can understand. Why did Mean Girls... It just hit a frequency with me. Interesting. Like seeing that in theaters, I was just like, fuck, this is this is it. Interesting. Yeah, I'd say I'm gonna say those two. Okay, I do. I really like both of those movies. Mean Girls is a little bit more interesting to me that that really hit a frequency with you. But I mean, yeah. it's a it's a great movie. What about you, Patrick? Um, I have my all time, and I'll be shocked if anything ever tops this. Is Mad Max Fury Road? I don't think anything will ever. I saw it three times ha- in theaters. Do you think that had anything to do with the fact that the first time you saw it was with me and you're like, God, this is so cool and he's seeing a movie with me? Like, this is such a great experience. That might have been, that was definitely part of it. Um, cool. So there's, because there's kind of three movies. I think there's, like, it's Mad Max Fury Road, far and away, number one. And then I would say jockeying for, like, the second place, there's kind of, like, two movies. There's Children of Men um, and... And this is kind of annoying to say, but I don't think people realize, or maybe they do realize, I don't know. I don't know what people think. But Drive, um, Nicholas Winnie yeah. reference Drive for me was like, I oh, saw you know that what, in theaters three times as well. You know another movie where I walked out and I was like, I'm a different person now. Which one? You're going to laugh, but it was of the time Garden State. Oh, I did two I case. I did two case. Up. I was just like... And my baby you know, Dave Schilling was on that trailer. Do you remember the trailer? Oh, it Garden shook State? my world. I was like, it was probably the most viewed video of my life was the Garden State yeah, trailer. Yeah, no, because it was just like this. It like opened a window to a new existence. And I was like, I didn't know I could live this way. Oh, so good. And you know, Dave Schilling, former guest on our show, he was on the other movie podcast that I produced, which is now called the untitled if Dre and Alonzo project. But he, he, he was on to talk about before sunset. Cause we were doing all of those films and that came out in 2004. And so everyone gave a 2004 movie recommendation. And he said, his recommendation was garden state. And he's like, now this isn't the best movie, but this movie was like an atomic bomb in 2004 and it really was it was you do like it's it's so funny to think about that now like looking at what that movie is but at the time it was like an atomic bomb it was crazy and you kind of have to give credit to zach braff for that and everyone that worked on that movie because it's fun to kind of dunk on it now as being kind of this cringy hipster weird bullshit but the fact that it had that much of a cultural impact and like had these shock waves that permeated like all kinds of like subcultures is like really yes. interesting. Well, it's also interesting. I think it's really weird and stupid of him, frankly, because that was a successful movie. Mm-hmm. Why he didn't try to make another movie right after that? I wonder if he got like famous. Well, didn't he do? Did he write the script for Last Kiss? No, he only helped with the he soundtrack. Like pre- uh, okay, but he didn't do a new another movie for like. 12 years and you just that's all he had in him maybe that's all he had in him but i also just feel like he was like i'm a movie star now i want to do movie star things you Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i think he should have pounced on that yeah but then again it could have 
backfired spectacularly. Yeah, it could have, but you just it's just interesting how he has not he like that is the peak of his career. Yeah. And that was almost 20 years ago. That was actually which... the first movie I ever saw at the Grove Beverly Hills. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, so I went up with my mom and two of my friends for my Beverly birthday. Beverly Hills the Grove? Excuse me, not Beverly Hills. Um the Grove at Third Street. The, yeah, what, yeah, wherever that is. Third the and Grove Beverly. is its own state. Its basically. own thing, yeah. Beverly and Third Street. Or Beverly, yes. Or excuse me. Beverly it's and Fairfax. Beverly. Third and yeah. Fairfax, yeah. Anyways, um, The Grove was the first I'm sorry movie for ever. being pedantic. I no, no, no. That's okay. It's not Beverly Hills, and people should understand that. Um, but I, I think the reason that I kind of conflate it with Beverly Hills, it's one of the fanciest. It was like kind of at the oh, vanguard yeah. of like the fancy malls. Yes. Like there, you'd never seen a mall like the Grove. And now it's a tourist attraction. It's a man. tourist attraction. And now it's, it's like the Mall of America. Yeah. Well, in terms of how unique it is. Yeah. Yeah. But it's much so that smaller. Was one, that was the first movie you saw there. That was the first movie I saw there. And uh, so, yeah, it really resonated with me. And I remember going to get lunch at um, the farmer's market on 3rd Street afterwards yeah. at La Loteria. Had a big old oh, yeah. burrito. That's burrito. great. Uh, yeah. So, I <laughs> that was a, I mean, that we couldn't have been more perfect in age to we were in high school. Oh. Like, I mean, it just was like a dart it into our It was just perfect. Um, anyways, let's move on here. <laughs> Is there an inordinate amount of milling about, so much so that this movie could be retitled We're the Millers? I'm going to say yes. Yes. So much milling. There's so much like, let's go up to this guy and ask him a question. Like, mm-hmm. There's a lot of them just kind of trotting around the village. They're just kind of, they're milling. They're milling around the village. They're milling. Uh, would you rather read 10 pages of Infinite Jest than watch this movie? What about you, Patrick? Another closest one we've had in a while. Uh, this isn't as close for me. I really did enjoy watching this again. I enjoyed it, but I, I mean, it's it such, it's a significant time suck. Um, it's a time suck. I, I suppose, I suppose I'd rather watch this because it is, you know, if you can prepare yourself mentally for the time investment, physically it's a pretty, com- yeah, physically and mentally, if you can prepare yourself, you know, you're going to spend X amount of minutes engage with this movie it's a pretty compelling movie and the watching characters a movie are really like great this, watching a movie like this is uh wouldn't you say it counts as exercise for like two weeks oh <laughs> at least dude this is like watching seven samurai is like reading like three textbooks back to back while running on a yeah treadmill. while running <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> all right patrick what pretentious thing do you have to say about this movie this film so I think what I couldn't stop thinking about in the context of this movie is I kind of view this movie as sort of like an exist through an existential prism. And I think what you could say about this movie is this movie explores the notion of the duality of man and the binary of good and evil. And it explores how some men, how, how there's this kind of, ongoing philosophical debate about whether man is inherently good or man is inherently evil. And I don't think there's, obviously there's no way to definitively settle that. And I think this movie does a really good job of exploring the complexity of that question and the gray area between good and evil. And I'm thinking in particular, uh, there's a scene towards the end um, I mean, it's a lot of it is pervasive in the relationship between the samurai and the bandits and the farmers, and they all have very complicated relationships. And no one is depicted as 
as this one true hero or this one true perfect um, protagonist. Um, but towards the end, there's um, one, the youngest samurai, uh, Kazushiro, I think his name He's is. He's the horny one. The horny one. He It, it becomes public that he had had um, sex with Shino, um, the daughter of one of the farmers, Manzo. And Manzo is livid. He is absolutely furious because he thinks that this has destroyed his daughter's virtue. Not and... even at the samurai, at her. Yeah, he's mad at his daughter. He's like, he's he literally, I think that the, the subtitle translation is he calls her damaged goods. That's the translation in the subtitles. And my point in bringing that up is there's this fear that the samurai are going to kind of come and be these predatory, be this predatory force. But the movie has set it up so that the samurai are much more complex than this predatory parasitic force. There's much more to them. And same with the farmers. The farmers aren't just a bunch of like, I mean, the farmers, there's a lot of quotes about the farmers being like inherently fearful, but at the same time, the farmers are shown to be a little bit more complex than that. The farmers aren't just like a bunch of like lying pussies. <laughs> like they, mm-hmm. There's more to the farmers than that. And so I think this movie explores just sort of the, it, it sort of undermines the notion that there's a binary of good and evil in the world and that there's a much broader spectrum. Yes. Uh, I liked, uh, there's a character, Yohei, I think it was. Yes, Yohei, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's one of the farmers and he's like, he's he literally looks like the comedy drama, you know, those yes, masks. He, he literally looks yes. like the drama mask, like, <laughs> and he's like such a wuss. And but at the end, you know what? He dies defending his post. Yeah, he dies honorably. And he it's always funny because he's in it a lot and they're always like, Where's Yohei? Like yeah. they're always like calling after him. He's like this old man. He's like, kind of like ah! a butt of jokes for like an hour and a half of the movie. <laughs> uh, loved Yohei. Uh there's a ice cream truck outside my window, but I'm gonna keep talking because I don't have time. I to can't hear wait it. Wait for it. Well, you're gonna hear it in the recording, I can tell you that much. Uh so my pretentious thing, you know, I think that Akira Kurosawa, master Akira Kurosawa, uh, far tour extraordinaire. Mm-hmm. I think he's saying something about toxic masculinity, uh... and I because the men who are the samurai who are meant to be the toughest, toughest guys in the world are the most sensitive. Yeah, they are so appreciative of everyone's emotions and feelings. And there's even a scene, which I felt like was kind of revolutionary, where one of the samurai, I'm blanking on his name, but he goes and sits next to Kikuchio and is like, or no, he talks to Rikichi. And he's like, "It's you have to talk about your feelings. Yes, you have to get these too. things mm-hmm. out or else they'll bubble up inside you. It's important to express yourself and to talk about your feelings. And I just... It was to me that really struck out in this movie that it stuck out in this movie that it was like so much so about how the toughest guys are powerful because of their kindness and gentleness. Oh because my God. all of the samurai are so gentle, considerate, and empathetic to everybody else. I love that you're uh, bringing this up. You've seen Sopranos, right? You know I have. Okay, just confirm. Oh, do you remember? Oh, Gabagoo. <laughs> do you remember? Um, one of in the early seasons, I think in season one, maybe part of season two, one of Tony's like common refrains is like, "Whatever happened to Gary Cooper, the strong, silent type?" Whatever happened to Gary? Whatever Cooper? happened to Gary Cooper, the strong, silent type? And like, so Gary Cooper, I need of to course, get my prescriptions. Is... <laughs> 
<laughs> is, you know, one of his most iconic roles is in High Noon. And he's just, yeah, he's the strong, silent type. And I love that this movie subverts that stereotype. It does. It really does. And that's really ahead of its time for 1954 movie about conflict between samurai and bandits like a cops and robbers cowboys and indians sort of thing and they're talking about you need to talk through your feelings uh okay patrick we gotta get to the scores here i got mine me too let's say it on three here we go one two three eight point nine whoa did you hear that i did that's magic. I'll say 8.92. Okay, cool. We're close. Yeah. I think, honestly, it's the length. It's the length. I mean, the length, black and white, subtitles, but just... It's too long. If this were... I think this movie is much better than Rashomon. Me too. Rashomon felt like so old. It felt so old. And, and it this just... felt like... Like, this movie felt like it could have come out in 1965, and Rashomon felt like it came out in 1935. Like, yeah, it just felt like... I agree with that. That's so a perfect... dynamically different. Yeah. That's a perfect description. Like, there's Thank just... You. And I know that Rashomon, it's it's a different movie. It's it's obviously smaller in scope purposefully, and it's, it's not about, you know, a, a large community of people. It's about yeah. sort of these small... It's relationships about the, it's about, about one event yeah it's about one event and how a handful of people can view one event differently uh, so i understand it's different but this movie just feels <laughs> exponentially more contemporary than rashomon even though it's this four made years me want to watch more akira kurosawa and i i loved the movie ron i which love we'll ron ron we'll is incredible ron was uh, the too long Ron was the actually Ron was the third or fourth Kurosawa movie, but Ron's the one that made me really love Kurosawa because, if I'm being a hundred percent honest with myself, after seeing Rashomon and Seven Samurai, I'm not, I would tell people my favorite director, like one of my favorite directors, is Kurosawa. But on the inside, I'm like, I don't know if he's one of my favorite directors. Yeah. But then I see Ron, I'm like, lie. this movie is absolutely incredible. Ron is really good, and Ron feels more like this movie than Rashomon, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. But what's good about Ron, too, is Ron feels... There are almost, like, Lynchian elements of Ron. Like, I feel like yeah. Akira Kurosawa is very cognizant of the fact that he's making a particular kind of movie with a particular style, and it's it feels like a master making a movie, knowing yes, exactly totally. what he wants to do. Uh, Patrick, okay, so what is the drink pairing that you have for us? Do you have a guess? Rice? Monster energy drink, dude. What?! <laughs> I like that, this. Patrick. Patrick, I like that. <laughs> monster, not a Red Bull. I thought about hour. Red Bull, but I think uh, a monster, you they're typically in a 16-ounce can. Um, you got a little bit more flavor variation. Do you drink these types of drinks? In high school, uh, I used to drink energy drinks all the time. You're such a SoCal surfer, dude. Is that a SoCal surfer, dude, thing to drink I energy drinks? I feel like drinks? Monster is very SoCal. It was a big thing in high school, I remember. Rockstars yeah, and Monsters yeah. were a big thing. Did That's you ever drink funny. energy drinks? No, not really. I mean, I've really? had a Red Bull here and there, but... So you no. know I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a weird collector guy? Yeah, I, oh yeah. <laughs> in high school, um, I was a big fan of... I would keep the cans of the various energy drinks that I would purchase. So I'd ha I had like this array of energy drink cans on my bookcase. <laughs> I 
remember, do you remember Sobe? Mm-hmm, yeah. There was a Sobe machine, I think, at our, or you could buy Sobe at our high school, and a guy I went to high school with, there was an empty locker for some reason next to his locker, and he filled it with Sobe bottles stacked <laughs> up on top of each other. Like, <laughs> it was crazy. That's really Anyways, funny. Anyways, uh, Patrick, we're always trying to improve this show. Mm-hmm. You know that. We don't, we're not stagnant. Do you have any notes for me to improve the show moving forward? I'm going to be honest. This week, I don't have anything for you. I think it's okay that some weeks I don't have anything, and this week I don't. No, I appreciate that. Uh, my only I note is... I shouldn't force it. Uh, last week, you said, place that Goo Goo Dolls song in the episode. And I mm-hmm. did, faithfully. Thank you. And I looked up... The song is Iris, of course, by the Goo Goo Dolls. And I was stunned <laughs> by how many plays it had on Spotify. It was like 750 million. <laughs> I'm just shook by that. That's not really a note, but I'm just shaken to my right. core by that. It's a note for our listeners. It's a piece yes. of trivia. It's a piece of trivia. Do you Go like trivia, listen case? to Iris by Goo Goo Dolls. What? Do you like trivia? They call me Trivia Casey. I love trivia, yes. Like if I, I lived in LA and... Oh, I found we a would bar go all the time. You know who hates trivia? Trivia, my wife. Trisha. Why? Why doesn't she like it? She doesn't like it. She doesn't think it's cool, and I think it's cool. I love. Even trivia. though her name is very close to trivia. I... <laughs> you think she'd like it more? I One know. letter off. Well, also, I think Trisha would be very good at it too. I think she'd she be... is good at it. So what doesn't and she like? like it? We've gone out. We went out to trivia one time with my brother, and she was like, oh, "I don't want to be here. I'm not gonna know any of these things." And then it was like, "Name all these artists, like painting." And she was like, "Oh, I went to art school," and she knew every question. She doesn't I love get trivia. that sort of. I'm very like, good at Trivial Pursuit. Mm, me too. That's kind of our life. You know what we it? should do at some point because we have pursuit. so many listeners who would love this. Yes. Is we should do a live Seinfeld scene it. Twitch stream or something. Since we have hundreds of thousands of listeners, they would love to. Well, you set that up. You set up the Twitch stream, and we'll get this going. (laughs) Uh, Sounds good. Well, Patrick, I'm I'm surprising you with this. Next week, our episode next week, we're going to be joined by our old pal Luce Tomlin Brenner. I am so excited. I knew that part, but I don't know the movie. What's the movie? The Doom Generation. What's that? Gregoraki. <gasps> Gregoraki. I love Gregoraki. Mysterious skin. We're doing the Doom de- Generation next week. Uh, it's a film with Rose McGowan. It's influenced by the movie Breathless. Cool. Gregoraki's great. And it is an influence on Luce's upcoming short film that she's written and direct. She's going to write. She wrote it and is going to direct it. And guess what? I'm producing it. And so this I is a little that. promotion for that. When does uh when does principal photography start? End of June. Cool. We're and starting it, will a- it be in the LA area or mm-hmm. where's okay. Could I come and sort of hang out on set? I'd love that. Cool. I'd be like, I need I need water. I would abs- I would literally do if you let Thirsty. me do that, I will I'll do whatever you want. Boy. <laughs> Boy. Thirsty. <laughs> uh okay. Fantastic. Well, Patrick, we did it. We didn't made another episode. Isn't that amazing? We've it made is. so many. Does this my is face our 40th look wide episode. to you right now? I feel like my face looks really wide right now. No, it doesn't look wide. Hmm. I mean, you're caught in the Black Lodge. Could that have anything to do with it? Maybe. Maybe it's distorting my my look. Patrick's background is the Black Lodge from Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Real ones will know. Yes. Uh, if you want to follow our show on socials, 
Our Twitter is FartHousePod. Our Instagram is FartHousePodcast. Patrick's Twitter is at P- Patrick R. Mallon. His Instagram is at PR Mallon. His letterbox is at PR Mallon. I'm Casey Lee O'Brien across all services. If you want to sponsor the show, it's Patrick-Mallon on Venmo. Send him some money and you'll sponsor an episode. It really helps. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Patrick, did I miss anything in this episode? Is there anything you want to say? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, I think you no, got it he all. doesn't. He's the only thing is, I want to reinforce that you should follow us on Twitter. All kind of shenanigans Brad's getting up to. I don't know if you saw this case. Did you see that Brad accidentally uh, requested access to a work document using the Fart House podcast email address? I frankly don't understand why Brad is still employed by our podcast. Well, that might have been the last straw. But he's okay. also doing well, you this. You talked for to Brad again. He's your employee. And he's I doing have- it for free. He's it's a hardworking guy. Trying to throw well, him a bone. <laughs> Try to let him build up his resume. <laughs> sure, yeah. On this massively successful uh, podcast. Yeah. Well, Patrick, that's it. This uh, is Cinephile Cuties signing off. Bye. Patos. Patos. Patos.